In this podcast, I interviewed Siddharth Jadav, founder and CEO of Polybee, an autonomous microdrone company out of Singapore that is mimicking the work of bees and also taking very precise plant measurements in an effort to help farmers increase their yields. We talk about the critical role of pollination in food security and why Polybee is much more than a pollination as a service company. They are the first scalable drone solution targeting producers in controlled environment agriculture and partnering with seed companies who are looking for faster breeding cycles and fewer resources. In the future, they hope to provide prescriptive insights to their customers and help develop crops that are more climate resistant. I hope you enjoyed the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Evolve.ag podcast. I'm thrilled today to be interviewing Siddharth from Poly B out of Singapore. Welcome to the show, Siddharth. Hi, I'm Siddharth Jadav, founder and CEO of uh, the startup called Polybee. We're based out of Singapore. What we're really doing is building autonomous micro drones for pollination and plant measurements in control environment agriculture. But for personal background, I was born and raised in India. I studied specifically chemical engineering. It's a bit surprising. I know what I do now. And my undergrad years, I was just, you know, trying to explore, dabble around, trying to find, you know, what really sticks my interests. And I was just generally fascinated by, you know, flight. I was into bird watching as a child and I was just, uh, you know, really interested in the physics of flight. So that's basically how I got interested in drones. So in our university, we had a NATO modeling club where we would just, you know, build drones, fly them, crash them. Uh, and basically that's how the learning curve began. Kind of realized, you know, flight is something that I really want to study. And I started doing research for my bachelor's thesis on aerodynamics. That was the first time I moved to Singapore for my thesis. And soon after completing my thesis at the National University of Singapore, uh, I was offered a job there as a researcher. And I did a bit of research on uh, a variety of topics on drones, starting from aerodynamics, control systems, system integration. And I did research for about two to three years. And some opportunities lined up quite serendipitously. And as a researcher, I ended up exploring the commercial potential of my skills and projects. And then one thing led to another, and that's how I ended up starting the company about two years back. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And now Polyvee is a company that actually uses drones for pollination. Did so you? how in the world did you get interested in pollination? <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting question. But but it's an interesting story, you know. So I was quite intent on pursuing graduate studies in aerodynamics. Actually, I had uh, graduate admissions in some schools in the U.S. for a PhD. But getting those admissions, it wasn't a resounding yes from my end. I just decided to give myself some more time to see if this is exactly what I want. And in that one year, I just decided to delve into topics that I had never looked into before, such as you know, robotics, computer vision, joining some uh, programs here at the National University of Singapore that encourage researchers to you know, explore the commercial potential of their projects and skills. Uh, and one of these programs called Dean Launchpad is where I ended up joining just out of curiosity. So that, that's that's where more or less the, the genesis of the company was. And on the other hand, I had been reading a lot about agriculture around that time. I realized this, there's absolutely nothing that I know about agriculture. You know, I don't know how this food comes to my plate at all. And that's when I started looking into it as an industry and, you know, just trying to understand what is it that is so broken about it? It's mankind's first invention. Why is it that it is so resource intensive in 2021? So with this at the back of my mind, I ended up joining this program supposed to explore commercial potential of what we do. And having done work on drones, I was naturally inclined to explore applications in agriculture. Around the same time as well, there was a lot of conversation about indoor farming in Singapore. 
given its emphasis on food security and the fact that, you know, the only way that we can grow anything here is in fully controlled environments. There was a lot of conversation around growing food crops in indoor farming. And I had been reading about that and I wondered if you want to grow food crops, how will you pollinate the flowers? Because it doesn't seem very intuitive to me that you'd be able to use natural pollinators. So I just started reaching out to a lot of companies here in Singapore, in Asia, in the US as well, indoor farming companies. And everyone started getting back and, and they said, this is an unsolved problem. It's one of the bottlenecks for us to expand into high value crops. What are you proposing? Let's get on a call. Let's talk about it. So that was, a, that was kind of exciting. It, it was the validation of the problem statement. That's how I first got interested in pollination, which is in a very narrow context of indoor farming. But as I kept reading about it, learning more and more about it, I realized that it's not just limited to indoor farming. It's such a widespread problem. And what initially seemed like a pond of opportunity was actually a sea of opportunity. I said, okay, this problem is big. Uh, probably the right vehicle to solve it is starting a company. So that's how, you know, I first got interested into pollination and that's how it sort of drove the decision of starting a company. I mean, I think this is a critical opportunity and I mm-hmm. think it's a critical industry. As you've said, in Singapore, it's really hard to grow things because of the climate. Mm-hmm. And that's all over the world. It's it's anywhere that's even semi-tropical, can't get certain fruits and vegetables year-round for sure, then growing storms and all kinds of bad weather and soil erosion. And this is definitely going to be an even bigger problem the longer that we continue to do agriculture in the way that we've been doing it for so long. And the storms get worse and climate change changes things. I think it's not just going to be a niche industry anymore. I think it's going to be huge. Exactly. Do you want to give us a little bit of background about what some of the current problems are with pollination that Polybia is solving? Yeah, sure. Essentially, you know, maybe to take a step back, I just want to talk about the role of pollination in producing fruits and vegetables. The, the reason why I want to reflect on this a little bit is the economic importance of it. Uh, at its core, pollination is the first and the most fundamental step in reproduction of plants. It's basically the transfer of male gametes to the female gametes, which leads to pollination of seeds. And there's two main reasons why it's so economically important. Number one is it's how we produce seeds. And so long as we need to produce food, we need seeds. So every single time there's a seed that is sold, it was made possible because of pollination. That's one main reason why we need to pay so much attention to this particular process and it's and the science behind it. The other reason is that once seeds are formed, for a, for a big fraction of crops, that also leads to the formation of fruits and vegetables as a result of that. And that's something that we ascribe economic value to. Essentially, pollination plays a, a, a fundamental role in the production of such a huge a fraction of fruits and vegetables. So all in all, that's why it's important to focus on pollination as a process. It's it's why we you know we chased it down as a problem statement. In terms of what Polybe is doing today, you know, we, we don't like to see ourselves as a pollination service provider per se. We're more of a, a solution provider for improving yield. And the reason why we focus on pollination is because it plays such an important and an influential role in governing what yield you can get from your cultivation. Uh, it's sort of a clever way of improving yield, not just in quantity, but also quality. If you look at the process, right, you can broadly categorize it into two main types. One is self-pollination, the other is cross-pollination. And, and this is basically how you can you know, categorize majority of the fruit and vegetable crops that are economically important. For example, most of the crops grown in control environments are self-pollinating. Crops like tomatoes, berry crops, eggplant, pepper or capsicum, as you would like to call it. All of these are self-pollinating. What that means is the male and female parts of the flower uh, are on the same flower. And essentially, 
what pollination looks like is, you know, dispersion of pollen from the male parts to the female parts in the same flower, right? So in that sense, process is simpler. The likelihood of pollination is higher, which is why it's generally referred to as uh, self-pollination. On the other hand, a lot of perennial crops like, let's say, you know, avocados, almonds, mangoes, peaches, these are cross-pollinating crops wherein the pollen needs to be transferred from one flower to another, which may or may not be on the same tree or plant as well. So that, in, you know, in terms of likelihood is uh, a rarer event, which is what also makes, you know, getting optimal yields a bit more uh, difficult. So all in all, that's, how, that's the framework for, you know, thinking about pollination and its role in producing important crops. But what Pollinity is interested in is improving yield in true environment agriculture very specifically. The reason is that, you know, we're quite excited about the sector. It's growing really fast. It, it largely grows high-value crops. So as a startup, we see that as an exciting opportunity. So that's why we're focused on control environment agriculture. And within that sector, most of the crops are self-pollinating crops, as I mentioned. So that's why, you know, what we've done is we've built uh, a technology stack that ensures pollination of the major crops that are grown in endophallic. So based on this thesis, we identified what are the capabilities that we need in place to solve this problem. How do we improve yield and control environment agriculture? Uh, and we looked at, you know, two major inputs that, that have the biggest impact on this. You know, number one is pollination and number two is plant measurements. You know, just sensing the state of the plant, how it's responding to its environment and its inputs. When it comes to pollination, we developed a method called aerodynamically controlled pollination. Basically, it's a contactless method of pollination created by drones. Essentially, pollinates all kinds of crops growing in controlled environments. On the other hand, we've built capabilities that allow us to measure the sort of key traits on plants to help close the feedback loop. So essentially, that's how we like to view our solution. It's, it's a yield improvement solution of which pollination is one feature, plant measurements is another feature. I love that. I mean, I think one of the things with controlled environment is that everyone's doing a lot of leafy greens and it's very hard for companies to even start thinking about, okay, well, how do we dive into something that needs to be pollinated and things like that? So, mm -hmm. I mean, just in general, I think it's incredible that you guys are, okay, how can we assist this industry? We don't necessarily have to mm -hmm. open our own vertical farm or controlled environment agriculture center, exactly. but you're providing the technology that the industry really, really needs at this point. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I mean, I'd love to hear more about the plant measurement side of this too, because I think that's another whole kind of like gray area that a lot of CEAs scratching the surface of but they don't quite have mm -hmm. the technology or they're just focused on the bottom line right now and they're not really worried about next steps yeah obviously going to be you know very important part of the industry especially if it wants to scale and evolve and be able to support large numbers of people at a you know decent price yeah absolutely uh yeah i think you're absolutely right when you said that you know we're just about scratching the surface when it comes to the state of the plant and controlling environment agriculture uh, just one quick point I want to make is that when we talk about controlled environment ag, we see it as a as a spectrum between fully controlled indoor vertical farms to high-tech glasshouses with a fair degree of control to polytunnels with minimal control. So that's how we like to view our go-to market. And I think the deep urgency and I'd say the market pull for this feature of plant measurements is distributed in that sense. For example, a lot of indoor vertical farms have invested a lot of their resources in having these capabilities in-house to a varying degree, but you know the most well-funded companies have more or less figured it out for themselves. Uh, when it comes to high-tech glasshouses, which is you know in, in terms of market size, the biggest I'd say fraction of controlled environment act, also in terms of you know economic viability so far, 
Zerer plant measurements is sort of an unsolved problem. We like to see plant as a bioreactor. And what it, essentially what it does, it takes in inputs of certain forms. It could be a certain environment, biological inputs, chemical inputs, nutrients, water. And as an output, what we get is a biomass that is of a certain economic value to us. It could be a fruit, it could be a vegetable, it could be the plant itself. And just like any other bioreactor would need a feedback controller, so do plants, right? And feedback control is not possible if you're not even able to measure the current state of the plant. And that's where there's a huge gap right now. We do not have objective, consistent, digital means to measure the state of the plant. Skilled growers are, you know, are, are instinct driven. You know, they've seen it so long. They kind of know, okay, this is, if this is what I observe, this is how I need to treat my inputs, right? But there's only so many skilled growers out there in the world. And if you're looking at the true environment act, you know, as one of our most important tools of, to enhance our food security, you know, like it or not, we're not going to be able to produce so many skilled growers all at once. Right? So we, what we need to do is empower growers through digital tools. And the one that we're focused on is having this technology where you're able to measure the exact state of the plant. And we're doing that through two of our technology pillars. One is autonomous drones. What this enables us is to measure the state of every single plant almost every single day. The other pillar of technology that we leverage here is computer vision, which enables us to accurately measure traits along three main categories. The first category is plant health and stress. So we look at measurements like canopy temperature. We look at fluorosis detection using NIR imaging. Then the second category of measurement is yield quantity. We're able to measure exactly how many fruits there are on a tomato wine, for example, and what's their rate of growth, you know, what's their status, are they right, good for harvest. And then the last category of measurements is yield quality, where we're also able to go to the level of measuring the dimensions of these fruits. So that's basically how we like to view our plant measurements in terms of categories. We're starting off at a point where we're focusing on diagnostics. Let's just make sure that we're able to measure the state accurately. Then we can start, as, as we start collecting more and more data, we can look at prescriptive analytics. And when we master that, we collect all the more data and get to a point where we are offering predictive insights. So all in all, that's how we like to view our, our roadmap in terms of plant measurements. It's a way of closing the feedback loop on cultivation. It's something that is applicable across the board, across crops in control environment ag. Wow, that's amazing. And so I'm envisioning in my head that these drones have little cameras on them. They're flying around the greenhouses and inside the vertical farms and whatnot and scanning out the plants. Is that actually how it works? Yeah, Wendy, that's more or less how, how it should look like. Essentially, you know, how we ended up even starting to work on this problem is that the first step was actually pollination for us, right? And when we started working on pollination, we started building out these pillars of technology that I talked about, right? Autonomous drones, computer vision. And then as we worked with growers closely, we realized that, you know, we have these pillars of tech that can be easily transferred to another big problem, which is, you know, measuring the state of the plant. In that sense, we already had the foundation in place to solve this problem with what we're doing with pollination. And the interesting thing is that with the exact same technology stack, we're able to solve two major problems in Control Environment Act. It's sort of two birds in one store. So how each of these you know, uh, operations are managed by drones is pretty simple. Let's say if you're in a greenhouse, which is about a hectare in size, it can be broken down into certain bays of, of our crops. We allocate drones for every single plot. So you can think about it as a massively parallel operation, wherein, you know, for a hectare, maybe you need about 20 to 30 drones to, you know, conduct pollination as well as plant measurements. 
And one of the key challenges about flying small-sized drones, for us, the drones can be as small as about 9 centimeters. Some of the drones that we use in greenhouses are slightly bigger, about 15 centimeters. So, you know, if drones are really small, the challenge that you run into is endurance. And that's something that we get asked, how are you going to be able to cover so much range with such small drones? And we're solving that problem by autonomous docking and charging. Once you have the capability of automation, it can be also sort of channeled into ensuring that you're running a perpetual loop where let's say a drone takes off, pollinating about 100 to 200 plants maybe, you know, in, a, in one full charge. And then when it's out of charge, it lands back, it recharges, and then it goes to the same place where it left from. And this loop can be running perpetually, you know, be it for pollination, be it for plant measurement. So all in all, hopefully a couple of years down the line, what we'll see is a hectare of a glass house with about 20 to 30 drones, each of them managing a certain area where the, the operations are running perpetually. If they're out of charge, they dock, they recharge, and they resume operations. So that's our sort of vision for this particular solution. I can see it in my head right now. And that's amazing. <laughs> I really hope that's the case. I know there's a lot of folks out there who have actual bees inside their control environment, mm-hmm. agriculture, inside their farms. And that's great. But at the same time, it, it opens up a whole world of other issues, right? And bees happen to be carrying some kind of disease with them, getting all mm-hmm. the bees back into the hive at some point, making sure no one gets stung. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can just think the list goes on and on and on. You guys are also taking these measurements, which bees obviously can't do. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's really amazing. So it sounds like your customers are basically any type of controlled environment agriculture. But are there any other industries where you see this could be applied to or that you're thinking about also maybe checking out or delving into as well? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So you know, our customers are you know largely along three main uh, sectors. As you mentioned, greenhouse operators, uh, vertical farms, which are probably the you know uh, I'd say obvious ones. Uh, but we also work a lot with seed companies. At the end of the day, how we like to view ourselves uh, is a solution provider that's, you know, building solutions to improve productivity across different functions in agriculture. And if you look at what we're, you know, building out in terms of technology, self-pollination or plant measurements, it is of immense value to the seed industry. Essentially, what we're going to see is development of new varieties as more of a problem statement and product design, right? Uh, Essentially, how that would work is, given the dynamic nature of consumer demand, climate change, the kind of trait that one would want from their varieties is going to change really fast. And that has consequence on plant breeders, right? Because it takes years and years, sometimes up to 10 years to breed new varieties of plant. If the targets are moving so fast, there's no way you can meet them. What you're trying to do here is take care of a function in breeding, which is phenotyping. Um, essentially, measurement of certain traits of plants that are economically important. And, you know, the tech stack is exactly the same. Whatever technology we're using for performing plant measurements for a greenhouse grower is exactly the same that they will be offering to a plant breeder in a seed company. Because right? at the end of the day, it's, it's the information on the plant, it's the state of the plant that is the deliverable from our end. And we see this as a really key piece, especially when it comes to contributing to food security, because plant breeding is going to be one of our most important tools going forward when it comes to combating with climate change. You know, the both posts are going to change really fast. We're going to need more climate-resistant varieties, more disease-resistant varieties. That's a really hard and a complex problem, right? We need to understand the relationship between the genome of the plant and the phenotype that it uh, expresses. And seed companies are extremely well-equipped when it comes to understanding the genomics of plants. But how it actually translates into phenotypes is actually a problem uh, in data science. Unless they have accurate and consistent information on what these phenotypes look like, and unless it's measurable, it's quite hard for them to map 
the phenotypes back to the genome. What we are trying to do here is offer them the, you know, the high quality information that is necessary for them to map the phenotypes back to the genome. And that is through digital phenotyping. Of course, we're seeing a lot of interest and a lot of resources being deployed uh, to build out these capabilities internally within the companies. There's also a lot of startups working on it. Where we are focused is phenotyping of fruit and veg crops to begin with, because that's what we've largely worked on so far. And with this capability, seed companies can actually accelerate their breeding cycles because they'd have more accurate and reliable information, which means they'd be able to map back the phenotypes to, to the genome more accurately. And what that means is faster breeding cycles and lesser resources. So in an ideal world, if phenotyping is entirely digitalized, we could see productive development cycles probably going down to half of what they are today. So that's something that, you know, we're quite excited about as a prospect. That's also incredible. I mean, and it kind of comes full circle too, because now that there is such a push towards controlled environment agriculture, the whole structure of seeds and plants is changing to be able to fit inside these indoor environments too. So I'd argue that not only are you working on this from a pollination standpoint, but you're also helping with the seed development. And that's, again, one more element of controlled environment ag that I don't think people have really thought through that these things need to happen before this mm -hmm. industry can really explode and be on price parity and cost mm -hmm. and even, you know, yield, I would say, too. So mm -hmm. it's super exciting what you guys are doing. A question I should have asked you earlier, but are the drones autonomous or is there an actual person manning the drone behind the scenes? When we started building out our collusive technology, we did a lot of emphasis on automation because it's a fundamental capability to solve these problems. And unless it's there, we're not really getting humans out of the loop, which is more or less the core of the problem, right? It's, it's, it's the cost, it's the consistency of human performance in this kind of a sector that, that we need to look beyond. So automation was one of the major capabilities that we focused on. As it stands, the solution is fully autonomous, right? So when it's deployed, the drones take off from a ground station, they perform pollination, collect plant measurements, and when they run out of charge, they return to home, charge themselves, and then resume operations where they left from. And this is a perpetually running loop, which is fully autonomous. We have achieved that level of uh, automation already in indoor vertical farms. We've done that to greenhouses. All the certain features are being built as we speak. It's just about turning that into a, a fantastic product, which is reliable and robust. So that's the journey that we are traveling now uh, through trials, through deployments, not just in Singapore, but also in season countries like Australia and the UK. And as we deploy more, as we engage with users more, we learn so much and kind of probably introduce the first scalable tool solution in agriculture, which is entirely being used by our customers. Automation is going to be the, the differentiating capability that gets us there. That's amazing. So what has been some of the major challenges that you faced thus far with Polybean? It's a couple years old, you've got a couple of people working for you, but what have been some of the like surprising challenges you faced? Well, I could uh, go on forever, but you know, there's this, there's a few that are typical of you know, early stage companies. And there are some that are specific to the industry. I think the first huge challenge that we ran into was the pandemic and its effect on our roadmap. Because, you know, earlier last year, we were you know, in the middle of closing some contracts for deployments in the region and also overseas. And all of that came to a standstill. So essentially, it kind of threw off our timelines quite significantly and forced us to think what exactly is our first solution who exactly are our first customers, given that all of these things are moving so fast, we just had to go back to the drawing board once again. But there's a silver lining there for us because we were able to sort of introspect and meditate 
And I think the clarity that we got through this process was that you know, we, we are focused on improving the That's the main objective. Yes, of course, we're building technologies for pollination. It's super exciting. It gets us a lot of attention. We're also working on plant measurements, which also in, in itself is an important solution. But all of these are features, right? These are means to an end goal, and the end goal is to improve heat. So we got that kind of clarity, you know, after reflecting on it for a few months, sort of, you know, introspecting and talking to customers. That was one, you know. The other challenges, I think, in agriculture are, of course, I'd say, pretty easy to appreciate is that the time scales are a bit different, right? Uh, unlike, let's say, if you're, if you're building an app for consumers or any sort of service uh, for consumers, the, the time cycles are much shorter, you can iterate way faster. But in here, especially when you're trying to, you know, build something like a pollination solution, you just really have to wait for a certain amount of time to find out uh, you know, how well the solution is working. That's just for your internal understanding. But I think it has bigger consequences when it comes to working with customers, right? Because firstly, there, there is a little bit of fatigue when it comes to being a drone company in agriculture because there's been a lot of, lot of such companies out there, you know, telling girls, hey, we'll give you a lot of data uh, and, you know, maybe you can improve your farm management through that achieve some incremental benefits, but that's not as exciting to prototype work. We have seen a lot of receptivity for something like pollination specifically because it's an operation that gets things done in the farm, but there's also a healthy degree of skepticism. Okay, we need to know how well it works because we don't have the, the bandwidth to accommodate something that fails, right? So we want to be very sure that when you deploy the solution, it actually improves our yields and not mitigates them. And it's, it's a cutthroat industry. So all in all, uh, the margin for error is really low. And that kind of translates into a, a you know a tougher problem statement for us, right? Getting there, you know, getting winning the confidence of customers in itself, it's a long process. Like it or not, we have to wait until we prove it to our customers through trials, and only when we win their confidence through the trials is when we can deploy the solution at scale. So I think that's a, a more peculiar challenge in agriculture, especially for the kind of solution that we are building. And then lastly, there's of course challenges in hiring the right people, finding out who are the sort of partners you'd like to work with. Being in the Singapore ecosystem, we've been quite fortunate in that sense. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, finding the right folks to join who are sort of a great culture fit, who are driven and value working on on important problems and are, and a skill at the same time <clears throat> is, is a huge challenge. So I think those are the let's say, high-level reflections on the challenges that I have faced so far. And I'm pretty sure there's plenty more. Yeah, it's almost as if you all are a niche within a niche. You're a niche <laughs> culture and a niche within drones and you put these two together and it's a very specific thing. Where do you see Polybee in a couple of years, let's say two years out or five years out? What's the future? What we have clarity on is the objective just to improve yield. To do that, we have to be able to deploy the solution at scale. So that is what is on the top of our mind. After proving to our customers that our solution works, how do we move from, you know, one to N? And how do we make sure that we're able to deploy this solution on tens of hectares of glasshouse or greenhouse area and make sure that it works day in and day out? So two, three years down the line, what we like to see is that we have run through these trials. We've won the confidence of our customers. They want us to deploy these solutions at scale. And we've been able to do that over hectares and hectares of glasshouses where the customers are our users. They're the ones deploying the solution. They're the ones who've comfortable with it and around these tools that are flying all the time uh, and are happy with its reliability and robustness. And in a sense, we've truly achieved improving yield. Let's say for Tomato Glasshouse Pro was able to get 60 to 70 kilograms of tomatoes every season per square meter, then we'd like that number to be bumped up through our solution by even if it's 5 or 10 kilograms, even if it's 10, 20%, it's, it's, a, it's a huge bump up in their top line. And we'd like to see those numbers show up, not just in trials, but at scale. 
that's our vision for the next two, three years. Wonderful. One thing we haven't talked about is funding and who's supporting PolyB. Are you seeking funding? Will you be seeking funding in the future? Yes, absolutely. So PolyB is a spin-off venture from the National University of Singapore. We went to the university's accelerator program and we raised our pre-seed funds from there. Following which, you know, we performed trials with Singapore Food Agency, which is the government statutory board for uh, agriculture here in Singapore. And looking at the promise of our technology, the Masik Foundation, uh, which is the philanthropy arm of the Masik Holdings, undoubtedly one of the biggest investors in agribusiness today, decided to support us because they could see the potential of this technology, not just in Singapore's context, but generally speaking, in the context of controlled environment agriculture globally. So looking at that promise, we raised funds from the Masik Foundation. It was more or less an equivalent of a typical seed round in Singapore. We had two goals when we raised those funds. It was to de-risk our tech, de-risk our business, and de-risk our team. We more or less sort of checked those boxes by now. We are a team of five. The team is highly multidisciplinary in scale. We have been engaging with the biggest companies in agribusiness in the seeds industry. We've already expanded our operations beyond Singapore. We have trials coming up in the UK and Australia early next year. And all in all, we have a, a good grip on what are the specs of our product who the customers are, what we need to achieve in the next two, three years. And, you know, as these results from overseas trials start trickling in and also as we, we get a better sense of where we deploy the solutions, we'd be in a great position to expand our team and bring that solution from one to end and be well prepared for scaling up. So we do anticipate fundraising in the near future. We're quite confident about where we're headed and just a matter of time where we'll be looking to expand our teams. Sounds great. So one last question, what does the future of agriculture look like in your opinion? That's a tough one because, you know, I think how I like to think about agriculture is that it's a part of the food value chain and essentially even calling it a chain is probably an understatement. It's more of a complex web with a lot of nodes in it. And I think that the bigger question here is around how do we enhance food security for our population? Because the walls are really closing in, right? We need to produce so much more for the growing population amidst climate change, amidst depleting resources. So it's a really hard problem. But if you look at the whole complex web of food as a, as a sector, every single load needs disruption, be it agricultural inputs, agricultural production, supply chain, food wastage. These nodes need disruption. We just will need so many more smart people looking into this and solving problems, taking on the hardest problems that they that interests them and, and building companies around them or doing really risky research around it. So that's how I can see our constant food security. If we talk about agriculture, I think the biggest problems are combating depleting resources, labor shortage and climate change. And I think there's a bit of a distribution there in terms of what kinds of crops we grow. Even within that distribution, specifically fruit and veg crops are unfortunately going to be the canary in the coal mine when it comes to climate change. So the first stop in, in these kinds of crops, given that they're just a bit more tricky uh, to grow. And the, the question is going to be, you know, how are we going to insulate these high-value crops from climate change? And that's where Controlled Environment Act comes in. I think we'll see, we'll see a lot more protected agriculture protected cropping in the next few uh, years and decades. When it comes to field crops, I think that's a tough one because, you know, I can't imagine growing rice and corn into protected environments. Uh, probably that's not going to happen. But instead, I think that we view more of as a problem in molecular biology and plant breeding. You know, how do we get the best traits out of these crops? How do we understand what's even possible within the realm of breeding? And that will involve understanding the relationship between the phenotypes and the genome of these plants. I think 
I've heard, I'm no molecular biologist, but I've heard from a lot of smart people in the industry that we've barely scratched the surface when it comes to tapping into what nature has to offer in terms of genetics. I'm hearing and reading about it has made me a bit more optimistic about grow crops and pea crops. So I think uh, what we'd like to play a very smart is in helping these companies understand the relationship between the traits of the plants, which we can help them understand through digital phenotyping and the genome, which is what their expertise is. So, so I think we hopefully can develop new varieties which are significantly more climate resilient for row crops and we will be able to combat really hard problems like you know, rising temperatures, extreme climate conditions and storms as well. So that's how I view the sort of progress in agriculture across different sectors. But then at the end of the day, I'd also like to remind myself that agriculture is just a small part in the entire food value chain and we need to work on many such nodes to make sure there's food on everyone's plate. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's happening. There's so many really incredible space age innovations happening in food right now that, you know, blow my mind every time I read about them. So mm-hmm. I think we're we're definitely headed in the right direction. And Singapore is a hotbed for that. You all have had cellular agriculture, yep. top companies producing that. There's been a ton yep. of CEA happening there. It's really such an incredible place for to be aware of food and where the food comes from. So I want to go ahead and wrap up, but how can the audience follow you? Are you all on Instagram, Twitter, all the usual social medias? I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, so they can find me on LinkedIn. And I also have a Twitter handle, so I'm, I'm decently active on Twitter as well. So yeah, uh, I'd love to get in touch with folks who might be interested in what we do. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing these innovative technology that you're developing and your passion. It really, really comes through in stories that you're telling and the way that you just express everything about this industry. I can just tell you're so excited and you're so passionate about it. So thank you for doing it. Thank you for being part of the change. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Pleasure is entirely mine, Wendy. Thank you so much for having me and recognizing the work that we do. It's it's every now and then it's a it's a nice reminder that what we're building is important uh, and kind of reinforces our belief in it. So thank you so much.